one of the reasons why coaches talk a lot during practice is they have no other way to communicate the things that they're seeing. But if you gave your assistant coaches clipboards and told them, here's one thing I want, told them one thing, one thing I want you to watch for is you're watching for transition defense and you're watching for them. They could write it down. They could make a conscious decision about whether they wanted to share it with the player or whether they just wanted to write it down and talk to the coaching staff later or talk to the player later and say, here are some of the things I'm noticing or here's, you know, that if I can create a second channel for people's observations to become useful, then they're, then they have an alternative to shouting it at the player in the moment of performance. And even if you don't have assistant coaches, I actually think that applies to us individually too, right? If I have a clipboard and I can write things down and make notes to myself, then I don't have to verbalize it to keep from losing it because right? it's in our working memory and we know that it's going to disappear. So my choice is it disappears and become, and it never happened or I shout it out. Right? So my temptation is to shout it out, but if I can write it down, then I can come back to it later. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to share this bonus episode with you. This episode is a recording of one of the free book clubs I'm running for coaches, covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching by Doug Lamov. This specific meeting consists of two things, about a 15-minute group discussion about the concept of the signal and the noise from Chapter 3 of the book, then a live Q&A with Doug Lamov. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know that registration for Round 2 of the free book clubs covering the Coach's Guide to Teaching is now open. You can go to cgtbookclubs.com or click the link in the show details to save your spot in one of the upcoming free book clubs. And if you have any questions about it, just email me at luke at transformsport.org. Now let's get into the episode. If you want to skip straight to the Q&A with Doug, it begins around 23 minutes. Enjoy the episode. All right, here's how today is going to go. We're going to hit one topic really quick from chapter three, the signal and the noise. And then we'll spend some time generating some questions for Doug. And then we'll have a Q&A with Doug. And I think it'll be really valuable. I know the coaches that participated in the one that we did this past week on Wednesday really enjoyed it. Uh, Doug really enjoyed it as well. And so I think it'll be really valuable. But here's what I want us to do first is actually I want us to stop and take a couple minutes to read a short section from um, chapter three. And it's the green section on pages 140 through 141. And the title of it is The Signal and the Noise, Kerr and Curry. So I'm going to give us about three or four minutes to read those two paragraphs. And then I'll bring us back together to do a little bit of reflecting and discussion on that. So ready, set, read. Perfect. Looks like we're all finished up reading it. I think this section is really important to consider as it relates to our feedback And I think before we just jot down some of our thoughts and then discuss them, it's just important to, again, just look at these two definitions. And so what Doug gets out here with the signal and the noise is this, the signal is the quality of the decision or execution, right? So we ask players to do something. What was the quality of the choice they made or how they executed something? And the noise is the randomness of 
a single situation or outcome in sports. I think that we've probably all played enough or coached enough to know that we've seen players do the right thing and have not a positive outcome, right? They take a good shot and they miss, or they take a bad shot and they make it. And then, you know, based on that outcome, they think that it was the right decision, but we know like, oh man, I do not want them to make that decision again. Right. And so I think it's important for us to just get on the same page with those definitions. And what I want us to do now is just jot down our thoughts to these, these questions, two questions, and then an example that you feel like applies to your own coaching. The first question is this, like, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard as coaches or athletes to separate the signal from the noise or understand the difference? And then the second question is, what's the impact on our team's culture when we help athletes understand the difference between signal and the noise? And then the last thing is write down, it says two there, you can just do one one situation where you realize that you could do a better job providing feedback that distinguishes between signal and noise based on how we defined it above. And we'll just kind of popcorn around, get maybe two or three thoughts for um, each question. And then I'd love it if we all just briefly shared the example um, from our sport or our coaching where we feel like we could grow in this. So first, why is it so difficult for coaches and athletes to distinguish the signal and the noise? Uh, Coach Davis, what were your thoughts to that? Yeah, part of what I put here is um, part of the reason why it's a difficult time separating it can be due to memory. So for instance, if in football, we're talking about maybe a shot from 30 yards from a wide position, which we would know 99 times out of 10 is is not going to be a good shot. However, if it goes in, everyone always remembers that shot. And they don't they don't remember the like, you know, the 20 that they've missed previously from there. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a great example. Again, it's like it sometimes you do the wrong thing and it turns out well and so then we think, "Oh, this is this is great." Uh coach <laughs> coach Givens, what'd you put for that one? I just the like for an athlete, like being result driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I've got a kid on my team um, presently that it's all about for him. It's all about making shots. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, and that, and if he's not making shots, then it affects everything else. So, you know, he lets rather than being focused on, all right, this is, you know, that's a good shot for you within what we're trying to do offensively. You know, or that's a good shot for you within our offense. And if it goes in great, if it doesn't, I'm okay with that as a coach, you know, he, you know, whether it's a good, sh- and he, he takes good ones and he takes bad ones, but uh, you know, if, if he's not making shots and that affects everything else, body language is, yeah, we're just trying to, and I mean, he's going into his junior year, so it's we've been working on with it since he's a freshman, and we still haven't been able to get him past that point. Yeah, it's that's hard. I, oh, that's a great example, though. Thanks for sharing that. I'll I'll just add this to that question, then we'll go into the next one. I think emotion makes it really hard too, 
you know, sports are so emotional for us as coaches and as players, like we're all competitive. We're all there to win, obviously too. Like when the game starts, we want to win. Hopefully that's not our purpose, but, but we do want to win. And so like, it can just be really easy to like, and even as coaches, like our kid takes a terrible shot and it goes in, like we're, we're kind of secretly happy too. Like we know it's, we don't want them necessarily keep doing it, but like you said, we can just get so attached to the results. So the next question, the impact on the team's culture, when we help athletes understand the difference, coach Roach, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think, I think they're both intertwined actually. I think your the, the hardness is down to, if you don't define what your principles of play are, which, which has to be done as a group. So everyone's on the same kind of wavelength. And then when it comes to the impact on the team's culture, we had it ourselves and our team, um, it leads to better decision-making as a group, but as well as that, it can lead to better peer-to-peer feedback mm. that a coach isn't always the one telling them, well, why did you do that? Or, or was that the right decision at that moment? And things like that. It's more their fellow teammates take them aside and say, why did you take that shot on? You know, it's not within what we were trying to do as a group. And I think that grows the culture of, of just being more together and understanding what you're trying to do as a group. Um, yeah. Be my own personal experience anyway. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Coach Moore, what about you? What were your thoughts on that? Um, I, I was thinking it, it just in, in it, it gives a certain clarity. So mm. if, if, if you're not constantly looking for the signal in the noise, it gives you, it, it gives you kind of a, a, a map already. So you know what you're looking for and you've a shared idea and that's probably echoing what, what was just said, but yeah. you've a shared idea of what you're looking for rather than constantly trying to tune and find the signal. So yeah. clarity, I suppose, is, is one thing that it, it definitely helps. And it gives you a, a structure then to work from. So you know what you're looking for rather than looking for it. So it gives you a, an ideal map of, of the territory. Yes. I think that's a really important point is that it helps us know what to observe for too. When we've helped, you know, define that clearly for them, like this is the signal, this is the quality decision I'm looking for. So I like that. And even thinking about what you said, coach Givens, like maybe this is language you use with that player and, and introduce him to this concept of like, Hey, these are the signals I'm looking for, whether it goes in or not, like that's just kind of noise. And, and, and I just, that's just a thought, like even giving your players some mental frameworks around how we evaluate decision-making, I think is really important. Uh, Coach Jim, any thoughts on that question? And if not, you can be the first one to share your example situation. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I would just add on the impacts. I think it, it can have the impact of building empathy, building trust, um, helping understanding so that, you, you know, there's a, a there's a common understanding of what the the goals are as opposed to it just ending up in the net or whatever it might be so yeah. it's a it's an impact of a building impact in culture um in terms of the example i was coaching uh, a group of uh, under 16 uh young girls last week and the session was creativity which is it's hard to define you know encourage creativity um, and what I basically wanted them to do is just a small 3v3 game. And I just wanted them to um, have confidence, take responsibility to try run or dribble the ball themselves to try and score in a, what was like an end zone. 
Um, so the, the situation was I stopped at one stage, but I made sure that, you know, that everybody could hear just with one exam. And I just asked uh, the girl, you know, why she had passed, why she had passed forward when, you know, you could see there was space in front of her. And, and basically my, my point was, yeah, you can make a good pass, but I'm interested in your development on the ball. So if there's space there, you you use it yourself and, and go for it. So that was my example. Yeah, no, I like that. Thanks for sharing that. And sometimes I think athletes need us to just point out to them like, hey, like I'm guessing the athletes one that like defaults maybe to being unselfish. Like sometimes you need to go make a decision. Actually, you being selfish in the situation is good for our team. You know, so yeah. I think that's that's awesome and helping them understand that too. I think that's really powerful. Coach Davis, what was your example from your sport? Okay, yeah, again, so I've I've gone with the um the shots from outside the box. Oh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you mentioned that, especially with yeah, anything- the, the older age group. Um, mm. I printed off a few um, shot maps from like the top five goal scorers in the world, um, and it sh- it shows like that all their goals are coming from the same place inside the box, and they're very wow. rarely even the best finishers in the world scoring from outside the box. So just to show them that. Yeah. I'm curious, what was the reaction to that? Cause I think that's a, just, that's just a fantastic piece of data to show them like, Hey, you, you want to emulate these guys. This is where they score from. Shock. I think at first, I think it was, mm. goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, everyone remembers the, the strike from outside the box. Most of the time goal of the season is one from someone who's, who's hit a, you know, a hard shot from quite a far distance. When they actually yeah. break it down, it's most of the time it's a you know one or two touch finish with inside the box. Yeah, oh, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that, Coach Moore. What about you? Um, the situation. Um, yeah, is there a situation that comes to your mind where you feel like you could do a better job of helping your athletes see the difference? Yeah, well, there are things like within, like, say, an individual pass or within, say, a sequence, like, from building out from the back or something, you know, that a player might have, you know, we, we had a, a situation where somebody actually did technically, they did everything in terms of, they did everything right, but there was just the, the pitch, <laughs> the, the pitch intervened. So maybe they, yeah. they might have taken that in, into account as well. There was just a bobble and it broke down and the, the opposition scored and, and, they're, then they start doubting what they were doing in the first place. But, yeah, I think that's important too. Just helping them see like, hey, you made the right pass. Like sometimes the game is just fickle, you know, like we just don't, we can't control it all. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Coach Roach and then Coach Givens, what about you? Yeah, um, recently actually with a player, uh, he had a player after a game given <laughs> himself a hard time after making a couple of bad passes well what he considered bad passes because they didn't come true they, they went out over sideline or, or something like that so we're lucky enough we video all of our matches so I had clips of him in the previous three or four games of doing exactly the same pass except it was successful um, mm. nearly to the T the, the same position he kicked the prompt to the same receiver and I just sent them on and I just asked him okay so there you go there's five clips from the last four games or three games, you tell me what's the difference and why yesterday's passes were so much worse than these. Yeah. And I was like, I sent back laughing, laughing emojis and just said, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> and it was back within the principles of play. It's what we're trying to do. 
but he was so fixated on he had three passes in the last few minutes of a game that didn't come off and it never helps when you lose the game if you had won the game you probably would have forgot about it but the fact that we lost yeah yeah thanks for sharing that that's a good example i like the showing them video of themselves doing it And, and just again it's like you made the same decision here Right. And it's the right decision, regardless of the outcome and whether or not it was a perfect outcome. So I think that's powerful. Coach Givens, you shared the example of your athlete and his inability to separate, you know, the decision from the outcome of a shot. Is there anything else you would add to that or a different situation that came to your mind? Um, I think with him specifically, you know, maybe using film to, you know, let him see when, all right, you know, you know, because we're pretty specific about, all right, within our offense, these are the sh- shots we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't necessarily matter who takes them. It's just these are the things we want. So, you know, showing him, hey, all right, room and rhythm three is one of the things that we want in our offense. Well, if you're taking room and rhythm threes and that's what you do best, the ball's not going in, that's fine. That's a shot we want. Uh, but then also on the other side of that, you know, using film to say, all right, look how, all right, so you you got the shot we wanted, you missed it, but then based upon your body language and your reaction, you know, it affected your transition back to defense, you know, or, you know, it, it's affect you're allowing that, you know, because we talk about next play all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you're allowing that to affect the next play rather than, okay, you took a shot we want, you didn't make it, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, like it's a, now if it's a shot and you obviously you can go the other way, like, all right. So you've taken a couple bad shots to start the game. They're tough shots and you haven't made them. So now, I mean, especially with this kid knowing that he struggles with, you know, letting missed shots affect him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we did something similar with the data we took uh, and I, I didn't come with this on my own. I stole it from Doug Novak at Bethel, but we had this chart of like the NBA, like all the different makes from different, you know, mm-hmm. talking about layups and threes. And, you know, I, so here's what the best players in the world shoot from 12 to 15 feet, you know. So we're talking about NBA players and the point value for, yeah. You know, we did that same thing to try to get that point across to our kids also. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I think the other thing you said that's really important is just the, um, your reaction to as the coach, like we can't expect our players to be able to know the difference if we don't know the difference. Right. So like if we're getting mad when our, when one of our players takes a good shot and misses, like how can we expect anything else from them? So let me just share a really quick example that I, I picked up from PGC basketball. That's really helped my athletes understand this difference and me as the coach give better feedback to help them understand the difference. And so it's about shot selection in basketball. And we actually give our athletes a a rating scale for when they take a shot in the game. It's a one to 10 scale, but we just use these four odd numbers, threes, five, sevens, and nines. Okay. Um, And we, we get very clear with them on this. Like it's a good shot or a bad shot when it leaves your hands, regardless of whether it goes in or not. And they know this, like, I mean, we preach to them from the first time. It's like, it's a good shot or bad shot when it leaves your hands, whether it goes in or not. That's how we determine it. And so the scale is this. Um, We tell them that we want to um, hunt sevens and steal nines. Nines are like wide open layups in basketball. Like in soccer, this is the cutback, one touch, like you're alone or the breakaway on the goalie. Like 
a nine is like, this is as close as you can get to, you know, the best shot you can, right? It's, it's wide open, essentially sevens are like your shot. So it's, where is that player skilled at scoring? Fives are 50, 50 shots and threes are third grade shots. And so we tell our guys like, Hey, we won't take you out of the game for shooting sevens and nines. Even if you miss them, like if you're shooting sevens and nines, we're not going to take you out. And when they shoot sevens and nines, not only us as the coaches, but like someone else said, I think it was maybe Gareth uh, Roach, their peers start giving them that feedback. Oh, keep shooting that. Like that's a seven, that's a nine. Um, That's what we want. So it's been really powerful just to help our athletes kind of shift their mindset around shooting and giving better feedback to each other. And the other thing that I'll say to it, and I love the things that a couple of you mentioned with showing them data of pro athletes and, and some of these things, um, we actually quiz our guys on it too. So we'll show them video clips of either like our team the previous year, or maybe NBA players taking shots. And then we grade the shot based on our shot selection scale. And here's the other thing I do is I cut the video before the ball goes in every time. So they have no idea if the shot goes in or not. We just evaluate it based off of when it left their hand. Right. And we define what a good shot is when it leaves your hand with some different things. But um, yeah, any questions, thoughts about that? I hope that even, you know, soccer, rugby, whatever you coach, that maybe you can find a way to take that and adapt it to your sport. It's been really valuable to me and my coaching to help me get better feedback. But then I think players have really enjoyed the freedom of it too, knowing, okay, I'm not going to get taken out if I miss a good shot. What was the phrase you said you used with that? Yeah, it's a good shot or a bad shot when it leaves your hands, regardless of make or miss. You said something. Oh yeah, yes. Okay, we hunt sevens and we steal nines. Okay. Yeah, and so like again, a seven is for that shooter you mentioned, Coach Givens. A seven for him is an in in rhythm in range three, right? Like that's his shot. A nine is a breakaway layup, so like transition or a backdoor cut, wide open layup, and and that just gets get your team in the mentality of like, we're going for a quality shot here. Um, and we'll be okay with a quality shot, even if we miss it. So been really powerful. Hopefully it can help you and your coaching. Any other questions or thoughts on that before we start generating some questions for the Q and a with Doug. Cool. And if you do want any more info, I have like, um, a document that we share with our team on it too, that I'd be happy to share with any of you if you're interested. So Doug's about to hop in here. Let me just tell you really quick. Here's kind of the flow of it. I'll facilitate the Q&A. You guys are about to drop in some questions for Doug. And then as Doug is answering a question, if you have a follow-up question to it, send me a private chat and I'll either ask it or call on you to ask it as he's answering some of our questions. And here's what I want us to do right now is I want each of you to do this in the chat. I want you to send one question for Doug specifically about feedback and then one question for Doug about anything else, teaching and coaching. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and start getting into some of these questions. If you're still finishing up your thoughts, go ahead and just type those in and send them uh, whenever you finish it. Uh, but let's start with Jim. Jim, you want to introduce yourself, what you coach, and then ask your question? Hi. Yeah. Hi, thanks, Luke. And hi, Doug. Uh, Jim Fallon uh, from a place called Devizes, Southern England, um, coach a, a range of age groups uh, from young ch- uh, children 
to um, to adults or under 23s. Um, and my question, well, I'm, a, I'm a football soccer coach. Context to this question is, I was on a course once when I had a real pivotal moment in regards to the use of praise and, and how powerful that can be. So when I read um, your bit in the book in re regards overuse of praise, my question is, do you think it's more an issue of misuse of praise rather than overuse? Did you say, uh, Jim, a little bit more about what you mean by misuse of praise, just so I, under, uh, so I make sure I understand it? Okay, yes. Yeah, so um, by misuse, you know, general, a great shot, if the shot flies out for a, a, you know, for a corner or, you know, towards mm -hmm. a corner flag, but you're still saying great shot because you want to encourage the fact that they took the chance to shoot. So that's misuse because, you know, yeah. the stand and foot might not have been in the right place. So you haven't helped them. Um, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a great question. And, you know, I don't know that there's a right answer to how much praise, you know, because I, I think, what I tried to write out in the book is the idea that positivity certainly matters. I want the training environment to be positive and upbeat and to express belief in players. And so if I can find ways to tell them constructive things in a positive way, I think it just opens up more ways to be positive. Do I think it's true that some coaches call things that are not good or not excellent, excellent in order to motivate players? Yes, I do. Do I think that's wrong? Not necessarily. I mean, I think there are times and places when that, you know, a player really needs it or could use it or could at least wants, needs to see the progress that they're making. I used to do this coaching my own kids in the basement when they learned to play football. You know, they would strike a ball and it would look terrible to them because it would go off to the corner and I would be looking at whether they landed on their shooting foot. And I would say I would be really happy. And so I would want them to attend to what I thought the signal was as opposed to them. But I also think that in the long run, a lot of coaches do that too often. And the result is that the power of praise becomes diluted, becomes more less meaningful, which is when I really want to say that was great. I've said that was great so many times that it seeks, ceases to have enough resonance to cause someone to say, oh, wow, I just did something that's really worth self-reflection there, or I've really accomplished something. And I think there's a fair amount of research that, you know, like in schools, at least, kids who hear praise from their teachers often presume that they've done, that they're struggling, <laughs> that the praise is an indication that, that someone is trying to love them up. So I think both of them can be problems, right? You can, you can overuse praise and you can, um, and dilute praise that way. And I think you can call things great that are not actually great and either confuse students and it's confuse players and have them seek to replicate what wasn't that good or lead to dilution that way. But I just, I, I, don't want to be like draconian about that and say you must never like I just think like there's a lot of situational it depends kind of stuff and I'm sure there's you can probably think of an example where um you praised a, <laughs> you praised a player unnecessarily and it was really transformative for them so I'd say like in the aggregate I think both of those things are challenges but um there are always exceptions thank you very much my pleasure great question
Yeah. And I think that segues really well into coach Roach's question. So coach Roach said that uh, he's always trying to catch the players doing the right thing when it comes yeah. to their principles of play, but he's been accused of being too positive by some coaches and players. Is there a balance? He doesn't want to be putting poor play into working or long-term memory. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that, Doug? Well, a couple of things I love about what you said right there. First of all, like that, that uh, it's principles of play and your goal is to catch players to, you know, doing the principles of play, right. So that you're focused on the most important thing and helping them to attend to the fact that they do it. And I just feel like you're going to be successful in growing athletes knowledge. And I think it's also really smart to think about what I want them to focus on. There is a fair amount of research that when you describe a mistake, you put it into players working memory, and then it's more likely that the mistake will happen. So I think you've got a really firm basis for what you do from a cognitive standpoint. Is there such a thing as too positive? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I think one of the great things about coaching is that everyone's different. Um, Am I worried about putting one of my kids on a team that's too positive? Probably not. (laughs) You know, probably not. I guess I just go back. I think there's a lot of good in your question, which is like, you've thought about the cognitive science about learning intentionally in your approach to how you reinforce things. And I think that's going to be really sound and far above what, you know, the average coach is doing. And, um, and so I, I just, I like the foundation that you've described. Um, and I'd probably have to like, see you coaching or listen to say like, maybe you should ease back a little bit on the, like, on the awesome awesomeness, <laughs> but it does. I mean, uh, it sounds like you're pretty aware, like self-aware of it also. So I'm not worried about anything you've described yourself doing there. That's good. Let's hit a couple more questions on feedback. Here's one of the questions that I thought was just insightful and kind of curious that a coach submitted via email. What factors or priorities might we be or should we be considering when we decide what style of feedback to give? So for example, a Q&A or a command or, or guided feedback, what should we be looking for considering as we determine how to give feedback? Yeah. One of the key areas is um, maybe there, there, one is how knowledgeable are my players about this? When players are not as knowledgeable when they're novices, when I'm just installing something, I'm probably more likely to err on the side of guidance and statements and notice this than I am, I'm probably, and, and probably slightly fewer questions. Though with the caveat that I think when I'm installing an idea or we're learning something for the first time, how to do it, one of the things I want to make sure that I have is, is attention, right? The depth of our attention creates our capacity for learning. And so I need to ask enough questions to make sure that my players feel locked, you know, locked in mentally and they're attending to it and they're watching it. I was talking about this with um, a professional basketball coach here in the U.S. last week. Um, and he was installing sort of key principles of his offense, right? These are professional players. Um, it's, you know, these are like the four or five key movements in our, in our offense. And so for the most part, they're, they're experts, but they're kind of new to it. So he, um, uh, he was making a lot of like, this is what we want to do. This is what it looks like coming off the screen. This is the decision that we're, this is the choice, basically X, X or Y. Um, but he also wanted to make sure that like, you know, there's, 
in the NBA, like there's music playing in the background and there are like all the, you know, there are 16 coaches walking around interacting with one. So I think he was really trying to build just their focus. So one of his purposes, you know, just asking them questions, right? So let's just review there. What happens off the screen? What's, what's your visual cue on the screen? What are the options? Um, so one factor is, you know, like what, what's the, where are they in the learning process? What do I think about the level of attention? Uh, and do I need to sort of build a culture of like, uh, of building that focus that's necessary to learning? And then generally, I think like as players get more expert, I want them to do more of the thinking. And particularly when I want to stress perception, that's a place where I think I have to ask questions because I, I can't really see what players are seeing. So what do you see? What were you looking? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? What there? What were you looking for there? Even um, on a very successful play, why did you decide to do that? Are you what? What do you what? Um, what did you notice before you made that was a great drive? What did you notice before that drive? Um, so I. Well, this is interesting. I think as players get closer to expert. I would, my proportion of questions, my proportion of feedback that is questions increases, but I think the number of questions I ask probably decreases because I'm assuming that they're learning more from experience. I don't have to stop it quite as much as they know things. My goal is not so much to teach them how to do it, but to ensure that what they're doing transfers to the game. And so then to some degree, like lots of distraction, lots of action, you know, lots, uh, uh, lots of, you know, playing out of the flow will probably help them transfer a little bit more. So I would say greater proportion of questions, slightly lower number of interruptions for feedback. I guess those would be some of my hunches. Yeah. And then, that, and then maybe, sorry, maybe this, this gets to, um, to Fran's question about what would you put in the, <laughs> the next version of the book, which is maybe um, I've been reading a little bit about meta metacognition and its role in athletes development and you know like how aware are you of what you did what did it feel like when you did that what were you thinking about i think there's a role for that kind of question as players begin to master things we want them to do it on their own we want them to make judgments and decisions when we're not there right just kind of trying to raise their awareness of what happened there were you aware of it did you see it were you wow what, what caused you to do that how did you feel about that? Did it feel different than the last time you did it? Um, there's a really fascinating tweet that I um, saw yesterday about the Australian high jumper. Who I get. She was a, one of the women's medalists in the high jump. Some of you guys probably saw this. After every jump, she comes back, she's, she keeps a notebook and she writes down her perceptions of each jump. She thought she did well. She didn't do well on the one thing she wants to focus on the next time. And I sort of categorize that as like an area of meta feedback. And I think that's something we can probably develop in athletes by asking them questions along those lines. But that might be something that I'm, I'm thinking about also with experts. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. The coach has got a teaching 2.0. We'll, we'll look for it in there. Um, Not for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I want to ask one follow-up question to what you just talked about, and then we'll hit coach Givens' question on feedback you talked about the importance of building a culture of attention in determining really how to give feedback or what feedback to give. Would you just maybe share 
a couple of practical things that you've seen coaches do to build a culture of attention that is not them whining and complaining at their athletes yeah. for not being focused or all those things I mean, we've probably seen coaches you, do. You can't. And in fact, I would say you can't focus athletes by doing that. It has to be the, the environmental incentives. I think that um, the James Beeson video in the book is really outstanding for this, that he's what I think he's, this is the video where he starts out by saying, he explains to players how to participate in the mental side of training. Boys, when we're training, I'm going to be trying to teach you some new things. I'm going to ask you a variety of questions. I want you to think deeply about the questions. Don't think fast, think deeply. I'll cold call some of you sometime to make sure that you're locked in because the game asks questions of you. So I want to replicate that. Um, don't rush, <laughs> you know, uh, don't tell me the first thing off the top of your head. And uh, if you struggle, that's okay. We're here to help you. Tell me the most, you know, and we'll, you know, and so he's really saying, be ready. I'm going to ask you, okay, ask you a question anytime. You don't get to opt out of questions by not raising your hand. Um, I'm going to be challenging you constantly to be thinking and observing what's happening around you. And then like right after the training session, he starts grilling them with questions. And one of the things that I think is really important about his questions is the follow-on. So he would say, uh, Luke, what did you notice about the position of the, of the two guard there? Yeah, great, David. Uh, if the two guard goes deeper, what would you do in response to that? Yeah, and what if uh, and what if they uh, what if they try and set a screen, Gareth? What do you do? Right. So, um, having players have to listen to each other as opposed to just the coach. I think that that's I think that's what's really really important and really exemplary. I was really struck by um, I was at this practice for professional players. It's their it's an NBA team. It's their summer league team. And they're watching video and the guys show up in the room. They don't have anything to write anything down on. Um, and I know that seems really, but that's like shocking to me. Like, how do you pay it? How do you, you can have a great conversation. Thinking is not learning, right? Thinking is useful, but most of the thinking that we do, we forget. My analogy for this is the books that I've read where I can, I remember vaguely that I've read this book and that I loved it, but I can't tell you what's in the book. Right. And this happens to us all the time. And I think this is what happened to the play. This is what was happening to the players in this video session, which is they were thinking a lot about what the coach was talking about. They didn't write anything down and they didn't feel like they were going to get cold called. And most of it then disappeared as opposed to great. Write down one thing you're going to write. You're going to be thinking about when, uh, when we're trying to get around a screen from the opposition. Good. What we've watched videos of each of us in transition defense, write down one thing that you need to think about when we go out into practice, right? I think that that, that notion of accountability for ideas, you could even do that verbally, right? What's one thing just, it's, it's the process of prioritizing. Great. Make a note to yourself. One thing you want to think about. When we start playing that, we've talked about um, changing the point of attack. And then maybe I cold call two people, Gareth, what's your thing, right? Frank, what's your thing you're going to work on? And then that just, over time, the message is, um, my expectation is that you're accountable for remembering and thinking about and using these things that we talk about. The other key way, I think, that we build cultures of attention is by translating the talking into playing. And by that, I mean, this is the principle in the book that I call aligned feedback which is I make a stoppage and I talk about something. Boys, when we receive the ball, we have to receive across our bodies, you know, snap our hips open. So we're facing the direction of play and our eyes are up. Uh, let me see that now as we're playing, go. And then the boys start playing and I start talking about everything in the world, except for whether they're receiving the ball, you know, across the body, 
snapping up in their hips and with their eyes up. And that suggests to them that things, you know, I'm not even noticing whether they concentrate on using the feedback that we talked about uh, and sustaining their focus on it. As opposed to if I say, yes, that's what we want. That, that's what, that's what we're looking for, uh, for Jim Waiter to receive the ball. Yes. I love the way uh, you open up your hips really well there, David. Yes. Eyes up Garrett. That's what we're looking for. Even more Fran, right. That tells you that my expectation is I'm still, I'm after the feedback I'm thinking during live play about your capacity to concentrate on using that idea to change your play. Otherwise I think the message is, you know, we talk and then we forget it. And again, I think that's about just harvesting focus on things that are important as a team. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I think that what you just said there probably applies in some ways to coach Givens' question, but coach Givens' question is what's the most important feedback principles for individual mm-hmm. skill development. Mm-hmm. Anything you'd add? Well, I think one of the challenges, you know, I think the maybe the most important principle in feedback is the simplest one, which is don't chase five rabbits. And I think that that is actually more challenging in individual feedback because we're right there with one person right there and you can just like, you can load them right up. <laughs> Uh, and so the temptation to, be, to tell them too much is um, just ask my son. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think that's, that's especially challenging. But I also think that um, oftentimes when we're working one-on-one, we're doing really skill-based uh, focus. And I think, there's, um, I think there's an opportunity there to use the idea of binary feedback there, which is just, just telling someone, yes, no, you got it, you didn't do it which helps them to, it's almost like AI, right? A ton, it helps them to be more intentional about processing a ton of iterations, particularly things they might not be aware of. I was watching a coach work with a player who was taking an extra step, um, you know, like at some point it was a soccer situation, but you can imagine this in basketball also. And he wasn't even aware that he was doing it. So he just put him through a series of, you know, a series of exercises and he'd say, yes, if he was successful in eliminating the step and no, if he took the extra step. So they, you know, they just did this like 50 times. And I just think that like that, those, again, it was almost like an AI kind of thing. Like he just began to adjust from having this very fast binary feedback that was successful, that wasn't. And so I don't know that that's a, a problem, but I think it's an opportunity that sometimes created, which is very, very short iterations of singular feedback. Like we don't have to identify the person we're giving it to. The person knows who it is. We know what the skill is often. And so we can insert a different kind of feedback loop there sometimes. Yeah, I like that a lot. Let's go ahead and hit uh, Coach Given's other question, a general question on teaching and coaching. Uh, Doug, what stood out to you in your research for the book in terms of building a positive team culture? Yeah. Um, I was really struck by, I mean, I, I kind of told the story of Jesse Marsh, but I was really struck by how much time he spent thinking about framing in language the things that he wanted players to do to support each other and build each other up both on the field and off the field um how how central language was to that and 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 also i would say one of the things i didn't talk about in the book that i've read since this might also be in version 2.0 friend is that it's um kind of scientists say that stories are are privileged cognitively for us, which is like, we remember stories really well, better than other things that we hear. You know, maybe it 
goes back to like the power of myths and you know why those are but i think that um uh the way that jesse built stories around the thing who we are and why we want to be those people and you know the like we're going to be muhammad ali there's a little there's like like a vignette that goes with the word and it's a story and that makes it really memorable and it's almost like emotional for some players um I think that was just really, he's a brilliant guy. And I can't tell you, you feel it as soon as you walk into the building with him, the like closeness of his players and the way that he both respects them and demands a lot and thinks and sort of is trying to always unlock the puzzle of each individual. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm struck by how much he does that, how much he does that just by default by defining things and telling stories about things. Any coaches have a follow-up question to that or anything else related to culture? Just Doug, first of all, thanks very much for the book. Um, it's awesome. It's changed a lot of my beliefs about coaching. Um, but just on your storytelling uh, thing, there's a book out there called Black and Yellow or Yellow and Black. It's about the Richmond Tigers in the AFL. Interesting. It's one of the best books I've ever read. But the coach in that season, all every game he told a story that he related to that game. And he kept um, when you crawl when you climb Everest, there's the I think it's the Hillary shelf. It's the last 20 meters before you get to the summit. And it's where most people turn around and fail. Um, or die I think it's the most critical 20 meters of the climb and he saved that I think for the final um, and he gave them that story um, but it's amazing to listen to the players feedback on storytelling and what the stories meant to them in that run to winning the AFL championship um, so yeah storytelling I did it last year um, I've got a, I've got a guy he's actually at the Olympics at the moment at the Irish boxing team Um but he, he asked me, would I not try and do it with our team? And when I asked the players at the end of the year um, what, how they felt, and they said, yes, it was, the best, it was the best kind of team talks because it took the pressure out of the situation. The story was related to how you felt the game was going or what you were looking for from the players. Um, and I definitely agree with you. The storytelling thing is, is, is awesome. Um, but just to give you that information. Thank you. It's really fun. Yellow and Black is the book. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely read it. Yeah, I'll send it on to Luke if I can get the full details. I was thinking about this the other night because we were sitting, my family and I were sitting around watching a movie. And um, I was struck by how often we look at each other when we're watching a movie. Like, think of how illogical that is. <laughs> like, we're watching, but what we're doing when we're looking at each other is, is we're looking to confirm whether other people in the room find the story as powerful as we do. Like, is that, was that funny to you also? Were you struck? Are you stunned by what just happened there? Did you find that sad also? I just think it reminds us how much like the emotional experience, the experience of, of, of a story together also draws people together. It's a bonding experience. You know, that's like, where did these myths that are privileged, like this started with us unifying ourselves around a campfire into a collective group. And so I think a lot of like, to me, that's one of the powers of story is not just like to understand, but also to like, build the bonds of a team first of all, i'm sure they'll remember those stories forever especially the one before the championship 
but I also think that there's there's like a psychosocial effect to them. Um, you know, people often try and do this like they have like, well, uh, we'll all go out on a retreat or we'll go out to a nightclub together and whatever it is that we'll do together as a team to bond. And I think, I think stories in like a quiet way do a lot of that as well. That's really powerful. I promise to, I promise to read the book and Great blog. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I love it. So coaches, uh, on Wednesday, when Doug, when Doug joined us for the last one, he asked each coach just to share their biggest takeaway from the book. And so I'd love to give you guys just about 30, 45 seconds to either jot down or just think, uh, what was your maybe biggest learning from the book? And then you'll just have a chance to popcorn around and share that with Doug. And whenever you've got yours, just go ahead and unmute and you can go ahead and share yours. Shall I jump in, Luke? It's Jim. Um, Doug, so my biggest takeaway, and I don't want this to sound corny, but, uh, you know, combining the book with this book club and actually chatting through some of the concepts and ideas, there's so much in there that for a, a little brain like mine, I can't take it all in. You know, even though I've been involved coaching football or soccer for so many years, I can't take it all in. So this uh, book club and the chance to you know share ideas and to and to, to bring them to life it's you know, I've never been on a book club before didn't know what to expect but it's you know absolutely the perfect way to read a book for me um, that'd be mine thank you for that and and Luke thanks for, thanks for the book clubs also it's funny I do think that's I mean I appreciate that it's a challenge to the book i was describing it to a friend as like it's a whiskey book not a beer book right like you, I think it you know it's dense my wife can't my wife can't get through it <laughs> like, every time I look over at her she's falling asleep <laughs> uh and I, I you know I think it's, it's it's I think it's ironic that like I talk about the limitations on working memory and yet um yeah it's a pretty dense book and I do think um having people to talk through it with and process it with and lots of opportunity to like take the ideas and try them and see what happens and experiment with them. I I think one of the ways you could use it wrong would be to try and do everything at once. And one of the ways to do it right would be to say like, here are two things that I really want to think about right now. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go with those and then I'll come back to some of the other ideas. Thank you for that Jim. Thank you. I'll, I'll jump in now because I'm, I'm a bit like Jim. I'm a bit like Jim. Um, I read it and there was just so, it wasn't that I was overwhelmed. I just knew by after I read it that there was so much in it that you just couldn't, you, you couldn't take it all in. You couldn't just run away and, and start saying, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. I actually said to myself, I'm going to step away from it for, for a few months and percolate and Smart. Yeah, take a few bits out of it. Um, what I really loved and what it really hit home to me was two, two big bits. It's when we coach, um, and as you said there, actually, that we, we ask the players to do one thing, and then we go out and we don't pay attention to the one thing that we ask them to do. And we yeah. just machine fire loads of information. But the one that really got me, like I, I coach a team and I played on a team. In the last 10 years, we've gotten to, I think it's eight semifinals and two finals. And we're yet to win a championship and stuff like that. But when the pressure comes on, we just seem to always collapse kind of thing. And I, when you go through the the memory, like forgetting to remember um, that part of it, that when we coach on a, 
a Tuesday and a Thursday and then don't come back to it till the following, th- following Thursday and let them kind of forget. That's something we're kind of doing at the moment. Um, and I just found that part really, really just sank in massively that we do expect too much, that we do one training session on a Tuesday and we think box ticked, job done, we can move on to something else on Thursday. Um, I just, I really, really found that. And again, thanks so much for the book. It's, it's an encyclopedia. It's, I've recommended it to more bloody coaches than I, than I can tell you. Um, I hope Irish sales went up by a good bit. <laughs> going by in I was wondering, I was wondering why it's number one in Ireland. <laughs> I want some commission, Doug. I want some commission. No, seriously, thank you so Mission's much. Table and pints. Right? <laughs> I'll send you all their addresses. And if they paid, you can send me the commission. But no, seriously, thank you so much. And your podcast as well. Anyone you've done, Dan Abrams and all these podcasts that you've done, they're brilliant. Like every one of them, you get something out of it. So thank you very much. And I look forward to 2.0. <laughs> Thank you. I really, I really do appreciate that. And um, yeah, you know, I was thinking just about what you said about, about forgetting. And I mean, the interesting thing is I, I think a lot of the things in, in the book are, are speculations. I think, I think it's clearly true that players forget most of what we talk about and then we get mad at them for forgetting when really it's just like the functions of human cognition. And so we know we need to come back to them, but like how often? How many times, you know, and the answer to that is, is like, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't think anybody knows that there's a lot to still be, to be figured out, but I do feel like, um, yeah, I, I think that just the power of forgetting is so constantly overlooked in schools. It's the same in schools. People are so dismissive of, uh, of reviewing things and retrieving things and knowledge in schools. Um, and it turns out, ironically, it's one of the most important things. I think it's the checking for understanding. I think that's how you know you, you've ticked the box and it's not a player during the week. He, a bit like what you guys are saying, he, he constantly did one kind of a thing and he did it in a game there recently and I, I sent him a clip and just said, look, if you had the ball back, what would you do? And as I said to one of the coaches on, on Saturday, his text message back to me was word for word what I would have said to him. And that's it. Like it was just yeah. that sort of, he knows now it's just, it's that execution he just needs to box off himself. When he watches the video, he sees it as well as we see it. Um, and that's when I think you know you've you, you've got that box ticked. But it could take a while, Doug. It could take yeah. a while. <laughs> Thank you. Coach Givens, Coach Davis, Coach Moore. Yeah, I would say for me it's the, the narrowing of the focus on your feedback. And then whether it's individual or group. And then – you know, like you said, if you have an emphasis for that segment, staying on it and not, all right, here's what our focus is on. And then it goes to live play and then you're machine gun them with 12 other things. And like you said, then the importance of it goes away. Uh, I caught, we were doing some individual skill work a couple of weeks ago and I caught myself, I was trying to be really cognizant of like, just, we started the drill, like, here's the focus. And all right, and trying to make sure that my feedback was tied to that. And then, I mean, even though I was being cognizant of it, I was still would find myself throwing other things in there. So I think for me, that's that's a huge kind of point of emphasis and something to just try to be intentional about moving forward. But like all these other guys said, there's just there's so much good information in here. And I, and I don't think just for obviously for coaching purposes, but I mean, coaches are teachers, so you know, classroom principals and 
But again, I think, like you said, there's so much in there. It's trying not getting overwhelmed by like, all right, let's focus <laughs> on one or two things that we're going to really, you know, and then as a, as a person, as a teacher and as a coach improving on, but uh, no, it's actually, we're going to do, I'm going to do a book study with my staff once I get through with this book study. Uh, and so again, I'm with everybody else, like in my simple brain, having more, more people to talk about and discuss it with helps with, you know, trying to figure it out and decipher. So no, awesome read though. Thank you for that. You know, I was going to just share one idea because both you and Gareth mentioned, you know, just the challenge of, I think you both use the same phrase of machine gunning feedback. And, and part of that is like, is about feedback on different topics. And part of it is about just quantity of feedback. And I was talking to this NBA coach about it this week because he's got a bunch of assistant coaches and it's not totally clear what all their rules are yet. And so one of his challenges is that during practice, you know, like everybody's saying everything. And so players are overwhelmed with feedback from multiple different sources that he can't control. And so their working memories are swamped with like suboptimal things that aren't what he wants in their working memories. So we were talking about how to manage this. And one thing we were saying was, one of the reasons why coaches talk a lot during practice is they have no other way to communicate the things that they're seeing. But if you gave your assistant coaches clipboards and told them, here's one thing I want, told them one thing, one thing I want you to watch for is you're watching for transition defense and you're watching for them. They could write it down. They could make a conscious decision about whether they wanted to share it with the player or whether they just wanted to write it down and talk to the coaching staff later or talk to the player later and say, here are some of the things I'm noticing, or here's, you know, that if I can create a second channel for, people's observations to become useful, then they're, then they have an alternative to shouting it at the player in the moment of performance. And even if you don't have assistant coaches, I actually think that applies to us individually too, right? If I have a clipboard and I can write things down and make notes to myself, then I don't have to verbalize it to keep from losing it because, right? because it's in our working memory and we know that it's going to disappear. So my choice is it disappears and become, and it never happened or I shout it out. Right. So my temptation is to shout it up, but if I can write it down, then I can come back to it later. So um, I don't know if that's ever helpful, but I just think that that's one of the reasons why I think clipboards are really helpful. Sorry for the long-winded response. There. It's fantastic. Uh, Coach Davis, Coach Moore, you guys got your quick takeaway? Yeah, for me, it was like they always say, something comes up at the right place at the right time. So it was the day before we were starting our new season. And I had the phone call from our academy boss saying, you know, these boys that are coming in tomorrow, they're, they're a good bunch of lads, but there's one really confident player in there and the rest are, are quite quiet. So really think about how you're, you know, you're using your questioning on the players. And then that night, I was on page 152 and um, came to James Beeston's rollout speech. And it was just seemed to be like the perfect timing just to incorporate that into the session the next day. Know and make them all aware that you know they need to raise their hand and that we could call on any of them at any time because I think this one player otherwise would have just dominated every question and it would probably would have been the same way for probably you know a few months until they all really got to know each other. That's great. We actually we have a phrase for that which is voice equity, which is so often the sphere of talking is dominated by one or two players and like all those quiet boys. Man. Oftentimes they're quiet because they've learned that they're not fast enough. That's just not their style. But they have a that's just a, they have a right to speak. But also it's part of the learning experience that we have 
there's a responsibility to create an equal opportunity for them to learn by, to learn by talking and processing and, and having their attention engaged. So um, one, thank you for that too. I'll tell James <laughs> how valuable he found this video, but I think thinking about it as an equity issue, right? Those boys have the right to be asked questions and engaged mentally and to grow with the game too. Uh, and so I just think it's, um, I think it's fantastic that you use that and I hope it makes a big difference for them. Coach Moore. Um, yeah, just to echo some of the, the, the uh, like the layers and layers and layers, uh, it, it's definitely <laughs> a, a multiple, multi-whiskey book altogether. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> um, and just some of, some of the things like the, the, the language and the importance of, of planning the language that's used. And I think there was the Dick Bate example with the get out and get down. And that sent me back to some of the sessions, like looking at his sessions and his use of language and the way he would get key phrases and, and use them to, uh, you know, to, to, to hammer home or to, you know, to make the point. And yeah. this idea, the, the chasing, to, you know, stop chasing five rabbits, you catch none. I, I just thought that was brilliant. So uh, the language, the, the idea of the importance of language and the language that was used in the book, yeah, really got me thinking. And it's, yes, I'll be thinking for quite some time. So thank uh, you for that. Yeah, no, I'm really, really enjoying it. Thanks. I appreciate it. It took, it took five or six years to write. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why there's so many damn layers in it. Just, <laughs> yeah. And and when initially with the book club, it was like, oh, it's a it's a chapter of a book club initially. And I was like, oh, uh, but then I was like, oh, and like for the last couple of weeks, it's like, oh, that's that's plenty. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and yeah, and Doug and I were talking about these book clubs, and I think I was like, I guess we'll just do like six weeks long, one you know, one chapter a week. And Doug was like, I think you might want to do like one chapter over multiple weeks. And then I was like, Yeah, actually, that's a really good call because, like you're saying, France, like I mean, we could stay in chapter three for a few more weeks, and there's yep. just so much that you can think about and try to apply. So yeah, I think that's so powerful too. Uh, Doug, before you hop off, any final thought that you want to leave the coaches with? And then coaches, I'll just share a few details with you and then get you out of here too. Just to thank you. I uh, just really appreciate one, your kind words, but two, just your commitment to developing young people uh, in the right way. And you know, with your full intentionality and commitment to, you know, I have, I have three kids. Uh, they're all athletes. Uh, none of them are ever going to play professionally, <laughs> but it's been some of the most profound and important experiences of their youth. And I'm just really, I'm grateful for all the coaches who have helped them to, you know, learn how to struggle for something you believe in that you care about and, and develop yourself and to work with other people um, and sacrifice yourself for common goals and things like that. So I just uh, thank you for all your, all your work on behalf of the young people you serve. That's awesome. Thanks, Doug. We appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks very much. Hope you all be in touch. See you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. All right, coaches, really quick. One thing to share with you, give you the details for next week, and then I'll get you out of here. Um, some of you may have been on last week when I tried to share with you guys about essentially the online community that I'm trying to create for coaches. And just to be totally transparent, I was terrified to do it. It was really the first time I talked to coaches about it. Some of you probably noticed, but here's the deal. Um, I'm running these book clubs, loving doing it, and really just know I have a passion for this and talking with coaches, helping them apply, helping them get better. And so essentially trying to launch an online community, because I really believe this, like too many coaches, they're either frustrated, isolated, or unsupported in their coaching. Like the people that should be supporting and developing us, athletic directors, club administrators. So unfortunately, it's like, we're not getting 
development from them. And so I think there's just a lot of power and in, in being together in an online community. And so here's what this online community consists of. The first thing is weekly Zoom. So like we've been doing, um, there'll be a, at least one Zoom every week. And the Zooms will either be a book club meeting, um, a master class, which would be like a specific coaching topic that we dive deep into a round table. So those would be like a kind of group discussion about a specific topic where we really just bring some of our thoughts and ideas. Um, and the fourth one is Q and A's with podcast guests. So I'm guessing most of you have probably listened to a podcast episode I've done. Um, my goal is to get two of my guests every month on for a live Q and A with those community members. So for example, like let's say Doug was on the podcast on Monday on Thursday or someday on that week, um, you get to hop on for a Q&A with that podcast guest to figure out how to apply it to your coaching. Um, the only other thing about book club meetings, so some of you may have seen I'm running another round of free book clubs starting in a few weeks. Um, they're going to be on chapter three again. And so if you want to continue to study through the rest of the book, um, that's what we'll be doing in the community on those book club meetings. And so yeah, we'll probably be going through the book like we talked about for about a year, um, but we'll just like continue to go through chapter by chapter um, a couple times a month, diving into some of those topics. Uh, the other things that I think will hopefully be really valuable to the people in the community is one, you'll get replays of all the things online, just like you got for the book clubs, but then you also get a podcast feed that's for members only. And so for example, like if you couldn't have been on this Q&A with a podcast guest, um, I'm actually just going to upload the audio only into a private podcast feed that members have access to so that you can listen to it. Just because I know I'm way more likely to listen to it in my car or working out than I am to get onto my computer and actually watch the video replay of something. Um, there will also be like a community-wide group me for us to connect, share ideas, and then as it grows, a sport-specific group me too. So like all the soccer coaches have a separate one, basketball coaches, and so on and so forth. Um, quarterly one-on-one -on -one calls too. I obviously like a big part of it for me, what I've loved to is getting to know you guys as we're doing this. That's a big part of it is just getting to share ideas and hopefully, um, contribute. Yeah. To helping you guys grow too, as I'm doing the same and just to be totally transparent, here's the cost. It's either 50 bucks a month or 500 bucks a year. And two things on this one, hundred percent money back guarantee. If you're not satisfied with your experience anytime in the first two months, the second thing is like, I'm creating this from scratch, um, you know, kind of using the book clubs as an on-ramp to it to see if coaches are interested in it. And I'm not going to ask anyone to commit a single dollar until I've got 10 coaches committed to being a part of it. Um, Cause I don't want, you know, one coach to sign up to pay for it and no one else in the community, it just wouldn't be valuable to you. So um, if you're interested um, I would love to schedule a call to talk to you about it specifically. Individually, we'll hop on a call, see if it's a good fit for you. And just to throw this out there too, oftentimes clubs or athletic departments will pay for things like this just as continued professional development. Um, my goal and heart in it is to provide a ton of value to coaches. Um, Jim, I appreciate what you said. I'm I'm super grateful to know that this has been valuable for you. That's the goal. And so I just think that there is a lot of value in coaches getting together and learning together. And so that's my heart in it ultimately to give value to coaches so that you guys can be better for the kids you coach, because that's really why I'm coaching is because I love to see kids have amazing outcomes as a result of sports. And I know that coaches are the avenue to make that happen. So that's that. That's the community. I'd love for you to be a part of it. You can learn more about it, schedule a call to talk with me at coachesclub.community or just email me.
Coaches, thanks for listening, and a huge thanks to Doug Lamar for joining us for a Q&A. If you haven't already, go get a copy of his book. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a link to buy the book on Amazon in the show details. And if you want to hear more from Doug, check out episode one of the podcast, where I interviewed him more extensively about the Coach's Guide to Teaching. And two quick things before we wrap up. First, you heard me talk about the Coaches Club community. I'd love for you to be a part of it. You can learn more or join at coachesclub.community or just click the link in the show details. And if you have any questions about it, just email me at luke at transformsport.org. And finally, don't forget to sign up for the next round of free book clubs. They start the week of August 16th, so sign up soon before spots are gone. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.